freak, I'm an outcast, I'm a shadow. I stand with the lost souls, looking for a hustle. Got a pulse on the streets, I'm the one you won't look in the eye, no. Yeah, well, I can see what's headed for you down that road. And soon it's coming to take everything you know. When the monster crawls out of the sea, you're gonna need somebody like me. All right, welcome to this week's edition of It's All Outdoors with Outdoors Dan and Larry. He's stealing my show, The Mac Attack McCoy from Respect the Game TV. Hope everyone's having a great day and thanks for checking in. Larry Mac, I am super stoked about this podcast because we have got one of my favorite people in the in the outdoor industry on. I've known this guy for I don't know how many years and he's been on my show a million times and he is just always a, a delight to talk with, and I, of course, I'm talking about the best outdoor chef in America, Mr. Scotty Laseth. How about that, Larry Mack? Absolutely. I've been watching Scotty Laseth for quite some time, and and uh, getting a lot of pointers from the Sportsman's show, off the Sportsman's channel, from his shows, and uh, yeah, and also learned a lot about some pretty strange critters. I'm sure he's got to uh, uh, put next against his taste buds that. I would have never thought of doing. Oh, I, I hear you. But he's hosted Dead Meat, the sporting chef, and he's got a brand new show called The Fishmonger. He is also an outdoor contributor writer for Ducks Unlimited. Let's begin to Mr. Scotty, the chef, Layseth. How you doing there, chef? What's up, fellas? And what do you mean eating weird stuff? What are you talking about? <laughs> you ate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you've ate stuff. There's no way I would have ate it. Forget it. <laughs> you won't eat a medium rare cheeseburger. What are you talking about? You know what? I, I draw the line at coleslaw on my pulled pork sandwiches, man. You know, and and, and here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You're so closed-minded <laughs> that you won't even think about putting coleslaw on your pulled pork or eating a burger that you haven't cooked the snot out of, right? Hey, well, I'm telling you what. Cookies, barbecue, sauce is all I need. Right, Larry Mack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a great ad-lib, but I'm, thank you for clarifying that, Scott, because... I've never seen a more picky ear in my life. He's, <laughs> he's like, oh, I cannot have a touch of pink. I can't have this. Is that French fry done? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, you know, so, so yeah, I actually, I enjoy uh, seeing some of that diverse and, uh, you know, some of the off the wall that people, you know, don't think about, you know, uh, you cooking that stuff, how it's prepared. And I'm sure some of it's better than others, but, uh, you know, everybody has a different, you know, palate i guess uh-huh yeah. Taste so. yeah hey I, I know you've had python and nutria and i you we can go over some of the other stuff but I, I i don't know if i have you had iguana yet as a matter of fact i'm in the process of booking a puerto rico iguana hunt the week of april 12th they've got big iguanas there they're dog size iguanas <laughs> and they shoot them with pellet rifles when it's not in season and it's not in season in april so and I've I've eaten them before, and they don't taste like chicken. They taste like frog legs. Oh, I like frog legs. What? I like frog what? legs. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put that on the short list. Yeah. yeah I, exactly. Who, who doesn't like frog legs, man? That's awesome. So, and, and you know, a lot of people that they say a lot of things that taste like chicken really don't taste mm-hmm. like chicken. Um, python in particular doesn't taste like chicken. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, t- you told me python was horrible. 
It's really, really bad. So, <laughs> you know, we've, we looked, we looked for them in the Everglades, didn't find any, but we did. Somebody brought one along that we cooked and it, he made python and grits and um, the grits did not cover up the taste of python. So I've got some, you can buy it online. Larry I bought Ma- some python on it and yeah. I thought I would cook it myself. Yeah. And it was the toughest piece of meat ever. I, I could not believe how tough it is. Larry Mack, have you had python? I have never had python. I've never had python, and uh, nor have I ever thought to even try python. But what would you compare it to? Is there anything that you'd compare it to? Well, it's really high in mercury, so that's bad. But, I mean, I tried pounding it with a mallet, and it was just – it didn't have much flavor. It was just super, super, super tough. I mean, compared to a rattlesnake or something where you just kind of pull the meat off the bones and it's a little flaky – Nothing like that. All solid muscle and super, super tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so do not try Python. I, that's, I just wrote that down. <laughs> yeah. I just wrote that down. I like well, rattlesnake. You weren't, weren't going to eat the Python anyway, I don't think. Oh, I, there was no way I was going to eat that. But I, I like rattlesnake. Rattlesnake, I've had a couple different ways. Rattlesnake sausage and rattlesnake chili is really good. Right. Well, yeah. yeah, it tastes like chili, right? It could be anything in there. I know, I'm just telling you, it was good. Yeah. So, Dan, <laughs> let me let me ask you this. I got to ask you a question. You know, being a chef and all, what is it you think is going to happen if you eat a burger that has a little pink in it? What are you talking about? I like my stuff with the, just a little bit of a pink in it. Okay. What if it had? What if it was medium rare? I like my burgers medium. Burger. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll bet your medium is closer to medium well. No, if I had, to, I'm going to, Hey, listen, when I was doing, Oh, what would, what the heck was that? That the outdoor grill, when I was doing the outdoor grill show and I had you and, and, uh, all the other gang on that you were nice enough to help me line up. I uh-huh. learned a lot and I, you know, I learned about, you know, having my pork, it's okay to have pork at 145, 150 degrees. It's, it's okay to, you know, when you want your deer, you want that deer at 140, 145. I mean, I, I learned all that stuff and I started doing it and I will, I will confess you were right. It tastes better. <laughs> well, and you know what? I've got people that say, man, I can't believe that magazine, that meat doesn't, wouldn't even cook. And they say, go look online and Google venison recipes. And when you look at the photos, they're red, they're medium rare. The meat is medium rare, whether it's a duck or a deer or whatever. So what's wrong with these people anyway? Don't they know? I don't know. Hey, now, hey, Larry Mack. Now, Larry, Scott, Larry Mack, I don't know if a lot of, I learned something. Larry, we not, Larry was just up here for four or five days for the Iowa Deer Classic. And we were at night watching, going over shows, and Larry was, you know, giving me pointers on this and that. And we watched a couple of his older episodes, which was one was a waterfowl hunt. Now, you know, Scotty, you're a big waterfowl guy. I've only done it maybe once in my life, if that. Larry's a very accomplished waterfowl hunter. But I want you to talk to Larry Mack about the proper way to cook duck. Larry, or Larry Mack, talk to, ask him, how, or tell him how you do your duck, Larry Mack. Oh, I, I do it multiple ways. I mean, but... The what Scott touched on earlier is most people that say, "Oh, duck tastes like liver." Mm-hmm. Uh, one, it depends on the duck. Two, it depends. They usually leave it on the grill a little too long, yeah. uh, and it you know it dries out and does give it a different texture. Uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but I mean, it is a night and day difference. Uh, you know, just going from a medium rare to a to even a, a you know a medium. 
you know, when especially with, with duck or goose or any type of waterfowl? Well, what I tell people to do is take a duck breast or a goose breast and cut it in half, cook half of it medium rare, half of it medium, medium well. And it's mm-hmm. the same piece of meat, but it tastes completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, that that more cooked one is going to be more livery, more muttony, and it's going to have all those gamey flavors that people complain about. And so what a lot of people will do is they'll go to extraordinary lengths to make their duck not taste like duck. When all mm-hmm. if they just wouldn't cook it so long, it would taste perfectly fine. I've you know I've I've done a lot of demos at consumer shows and things, and people will come up and they'll say and I'll I'll say try by the duck and they'll go, what did you do to this duck? And I'll say, salt, pepper, olive oil. Boom, here it is. I brined my duck breast first, which Dan and I have talked about for years also. Um, but you know what people do is I there was just a forum I saw and it was on venison not duck, but the same rules apply. And somebody said, I'm a new hunter. I just um, killed my first deer. What's the best way to cook the backstrap? And the overwhelming responses were, soak it in some god-awful liquid, do whatever you can, <laughs> and, and do it for, I mean, 24 to 48 hours, wrap it in jalapeno and bacon and et cetera, et cetera. It's, and it could be anything. It could be your finger in there, and it would taste about the same but they're doing it to make their game not taste like game when really if you handle it properly, don't cook it so long. And there's people listening right now that are saying, I'm going to keep, there's nothing wrong with my duck. Mm -hmm. But, and all I ask people do is take 15 seconds out of their life and try a piece of lesser cooked duck. It's probably may have been 20 years since you've tried it that way and give it a try. Just, I mean, if Dan can do it, you can do it. That's why I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Larry, hey, listen, Larry Mack knows all about brining, don't you, Larry Mack? Oh, yeah. Well, I no, I don't know crap about it. I know I try. I do. <laughs> That's one thing I do know. I try, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm not really a picky eater at all, so I, I try about anything. And uh, But the one thing, one question that I get, and I'm sure you've heard a lot, of, especially when it comes to venison, uh, what, you know, I don't want to eat this mature buck that I shot, you know, or, you know, I'd rather eat a doe, uh, for instance. I can tell you right now, I've, I've eaten a lot of mature bucks and uh, the back straps or whatever, and they've been outstanding, you know. So do you, have you gotten that a lot as far as this deer versus that deer? Versus oh, yeah. That? Well, and in general, any game animals, younger females are going to taste better than an old male in general. Mm. So you just have to treat it a little bit differently. So if you've got if you've got a mature buck, what I like to do if I've got a mature buck backstrap and it's it's not going to be as tender as a year and a half old doe backstrap. It's just not gonna. And so, but so you treat it a little bit differently. But it shouldn't be off tasting and it shouldn't be tough. Um, you know, on that on those back straps, the grain runs at kind of an odd angle. It doesn't, it's not really perpendicular. It doesn't seem like it really lines up. So one of the things with a with an older back strap is when you go to slice it, slice, make sure you're cutting it across the grain. And it's going to eat a lot more tender that way. The same piece of meat, if you cut it with the grain, is going to be a lot tougher to the tooth. So make mm-hmm. sure you slice it across the grain. You know, the younger animals, you don't really need to worry about it that much. If you want to put it in a marinade, 
you know, in South Africa, every animal that we ate in South South Africa, they took olive oil, garlic, salt, and pepper. Every now and then they'd put a little soy sauce in there, took the meat and marinated it for 24 hours, cooked it over a real wood, smoky, hot grill until it was about 130 degrees in the center. And it was incredible across the board, every animal, they didn't try to cover up the flavor, just enhance the flavor with a little olive oil, garlic, salt, and pepper. And everybody should try that. Just that. Don't cover it up in some kind of funky sauce. You know, there's sauces that are that are complementary to game, but there's some that are designed to make it, you know, they it's like a you know, it's it's like an ashtray. It just doesn't taste good. Right. And so avoid those. Cookies has got great sauces, great marinade. They got that. Yeah. It's not it's not going to bury your the the flavor of the meat. I just take uh, cookies flavor enhancer and rub that in liberally all over, and I just grill it. But I don't over I don't overcook it, and I don't think I've ever had a complaint about my venison. No, no, but I mean, you know, and then different cuts are going to require different kinds of cooking. You know, backstraps are backstraps, but some of those muscles in the hind quarter, shoulder roast, those kind of things, they they require different kinds of cooking. Yeah, and Scott, you you would appreciate Larry because Larry processes a lot of his own deer. And, I mean, you know, Larry, I mean, how many times have we and I talked at Donovan's or whatever other camp we've been at, at the same time? You know, neck meat is delicious. A lot of people don't even use the neck meat. The yeah. neck meat is great. The shanks are great. Yeah, Larry, tell me about it. Yeah, I, you know, the neck meat to me, like uh, we – as Dan mentioned, you know, I'm kind of passionate about kind of always cutting up my own animals and, and some of the places I've, I've went where someone else does it. I'm usually right there alongside watching them, not only just because I'm concerned, but because I may learn something. I'm just, I feel like if I'm, uh, I'm just, just the way I was raised, you know, I like, I like to spend the time and go through that whole process from, from field to plate. I know it's kind of cliche for people to say that, but it's something it's, it is the whole process uh, for me, but, but yeah, so all the way breaking it down, like you said, the shank, the neck, the neck meat, there's a lot of different ways to prepare that, uh, whether it be, you know, in uh, noodles, breaking it down to where, in a, to where it is. I know whenever you're cutting off, say the shank, you know, it seems tough. It feels tough. It feels real firm because there's a lot of tendons. And so, so there is a process in which, you can separate that, those tendons, and make that meat really tender and edible. Uh, same way with the neck meat. There's there's multiple ways for stews and so on and so forth. Uh, roast that that I do, and I've just done since I was kid, a kid. Now, there's been a lot of ways as I was learning that I cooked it, and it wasn't so good, <laughs> too. But uh, but as you as you know, the more you do it, the better you get at it, and the more you learn. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I try not to, to waste anything. Uh, as it pertains to to any type of the game that that we take. Yeah. Hey, Scott, what what rubs or uh, marinades do you like using when you're pr- doing preparations? You know, I I keep it pretty simple. I'm a you know high mountain seasoning. I use they all got the time. Great, yeah, Hans and them's got great if, stuff. Yeah. If you op- open my pantry, that's what I've got in there. They're they're not overly salty. Um, but if I if I happen to be somewhere and I'm just in in a lodge somewhere and I look in the pantry. It's going to be olive oil, salt, and pepper, and garlic, um, unless it needs a little something else, um, maybe a little red wine or some balsamic vinegar. And really, the key is any of the tougher cuts, like shanks, necks, shoulders, low and slow, 
you want to break that down. But mm -hmm. that has that those those tougher cuts. Once that once you've cooked them low and slow, once you've been once you've braised them and broken them down, have some of the most incredible flavor because it converts all that collagen just completely falls apart and it's just so so good to eat and if you break down your own animal you learn a lot more about your animal and instead of what what a lot of people do is they'll drop their deer off at the processor and say give me the back straps and the tenderloins and grind everything else and that kills me yeah mm -hmm. well we're getting into turkey season and you know how passionate i am about turkeys so I can, uh, Larry and I are going to be actually, uh, well, actually Larry and Philip are going to be going to, uh, to Nebraska, I think before I even get a chance to get out there, but we'll all, we'll all be in Kansas together in April, early April. But, you know, Scott, I, I mean, there's so many things you can do with a wild turkey and, you know, that's another thing, Larry, you know, we're always good about dressing our own birds and, and, and getting that. And one of my favorite meals at our house is wild turkey. And there's more to do than just the breast, right, Scotty? Much more. And it, to me, it's irresponsible to just cut those breasts out and then throw the rest of that turkey away. I know they are a pain to pluck, um, but don't feel like, I mean, there's not a whole lot of fat on those things anyway. So if you just want to peel them, that's okay. They're better plucked, I think. But like I said, if, if, it's, if plucking is going to make you not save the whole bird, just go ahead and peel it. But what kills me is you take the breasts out, and then you throw the rest away and then go buy a bouillon cube for your recipe. Instead of taking that turkey carcass, the legs and thighs, and roasting it in a, in a roasting pan with some celery, carrot, onion, put it into a big stock pot with cold water, garlic, maybe a little rosemary, and just turn that into stock, just like you would with your, with your um, Thanksgiving turkey. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have some incredible bone broth from this turkey that you would have been throwing away. You can't buy this stuff. It's only, you can only make really good turkey stock. You can't get it out of a can or a cube. So take the time to make some stock. You can reduce it way down. You can freeze it in small batches so you can throw it into a recipe whenever you want it. And it's so much better than anything you can buy at the store. Yeah, Jenny makes really good turkey noodles that way and turkey soup too. Man, she makes great wild turkey soup. Right. And then you can also, you know, those those legs and thighs, especially the, the leg part, you know, they're really, really super sinewy. So once you've broken it down and made stock out of it, you can strip some of that meat off there, too, and throw it back in the soup or the sauce or whatever you want. Yeah. What do you do, Larry? Yeah. Well, remember last year, Dan, when I when I shot that bird in Missouri and, and you're watching me break it down. And, yep. And going through. And yeah, that was it. That was actually and, that was actually Kent's. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I remember uh, that. So, so bringing that back and like you said, a roaster pan or something like that, it's funny you, when you break that down, it doesn't look like that meat would come off that easy, but if you slow cook it like that, I mean, literally when I pull it out, it looks like one of them head scratchers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, know you put on your head, all the tendons and stuff on there and the meat falls off. And then you can really do what you want. You have your stock and you have everything right there. Uh, to, if you want to make a turkey and noodles or some sort of uh, other dish with it, but it, it's it's definitely good meat that I think uh, ninety percent of turkey hunters overlook. Well, and you'll get more of a yield out of it too if you go low and slow and strip the meat off. If you try mm -hmm. and take your knife and cut around all those tendons and things, 
you're just going to end up losing a whole lot of meat anyway. So oh, yeah. let, let the oven do the work for you and slow cook, brown it and then slow cook it in some kind of liquid so that you can strip that meat off. And I mean, you can put a little barbecue sauce on it, make a sandwich, put it in soup, put it in tacos, do anything you want with it. And you're not wasting good meat. Yeah, that's one thing that, that we do do is that we make those street uh, street type tacos yep. uh, with, with that beef. And, and it's it's great. I got a question for you, Scott. Is there a way when you're breaking them down, you're talking about plucking a bird, a turkey. Is there a recommended method that you have for plucking a bird? I know it takes time, but uh, you hear different people's opinions on it. Uh, what, what's yours? You know, I give it, I give it, you know, half a day just to rest. And then I dunk it in really hot water, but only really quickly because you don't want to obviously cook the bird. But if you dunk it in hot water and then I, what I do is I, I hang it from the legs and then pull the feathers out that way. It seems like it's a little, a little easier. Okay. Perfect. What, do you, do you, do you, is there something I'm missing? Talk to me. No, no, no. That's a, that's. Similar to, to what I was thinking. I, I haven't plucked too many of them. I've always right. broken them down. So I was just curious if there was a, a method that, that you had that, that uh, you know, that I need to try. <laughs> well, and I don't, I don't think most people will pluck them. That's why I say, rather than waste it, just peel it, you know, take your fan and do something else with it. And if you want to save some of the feathers, do whatever, but peel it and just don't waste that meat. Yeah. Yes. Hey, real quick, I want to touch on snow geese too, because I learned something when we were doing the outdoor grill show with you and Hank and some of the other uh, chefs that we had on. Goose sausage. You know, a lot of people say that uh, you know the the snow geese aren't that edible or they don't taste good, but when you uh, when you combine all that protein and put them into a sausage, Scotty, it's delicious, isn't it? It is, and and you know, I found that most people that say they don't like snow geese haven't eaten a snow goose. They've just right. heard that snow goose tastes bad. I serve snow goose to people all the time, and then I'll tell them afterwards. And, you know, if, if, you, if you brine your snow geese first, and that's, I use a high mountain brine, but if, if, if you don't have that, take a gallon of water and a cup each of kosher salt and brown sugar, leave it in there overnight, and it's gonna exchange whatever blood's in there with brine. It's gonna add a little bit of moisture. Um, Snow geese are great, and they do make incredible sausage, especially, you know, if you're on a conservation hunt and you've got a boatload of snow goose meat, then, you know, making it into sausage will make it a lot smaller. You just want to make sure you add enough fat. And that's, you know, I use, I prefer pork fat over beef fat when I'm making sausage, but it's all a personal preference. There are a number of really good kits on the market. High Mountain makes them. They make sausage kits with just about every kind of flavor. Um, summer sausage, bratwurst, all sorts of stuff, jalapeno sausage, Italian sausage. You buy the kit, it gives you specifically the ingredient, the how much of how much pork fat you should add, how, how, how long you should smoke it or cook it. And it really turns a whole lot of snow geese into a big batch of really good sausage. Yeah. Mm. That sounds good. You know, the one question that I, the one question I haven't gotten answered from the fish and game people is if I turn my waterfowl into sausage, how does that affect my possession limit? Huh? That's a good question. Right. Yeah. 
no on that one for a while. I can't get an answer from anybody. So the <laughs> apparently the answer is just go nuts and turn everything into sausage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Expand. Yeah, exactly. That's a, uh, that's a, cause that's one thing, you know, a lot of people uh, don't think of when they're thinking of waterfowl is, is sausage. I know Kent, uh, Kent Howder, he guides in here in Missouri and, Larry, you there? Made some sausage there in the smoker and stuff. Just been absolutely outstanding. Bratwurst and and all kinds of of uh, things. And he was the one that kind of introduced me to that years ago. And when you talk to other waterfowl hunters, ninety uh, percent of them they haven't even thought about doing like that. A lot of them will well they talk about jerky. You know, uh, we'll just make them in jerky, uh, whatever. But I mean, I put them in the crock pot and made like barbecue beef sandwiches i've done i've cooked them about every way imaginable <laughs> well and, and uh, you know i've i've been writing for the ducks unlimited magazine for i don't know 12 13 years now so obviously you need to come up with new ideas you can't just do the same thing every time it's meat whether it's duck or goose it's meat so you can grind it and make patties you can go low and slow make barbecue like you talked about you can make sausage patties out of it for breakfast just using a breakfast sausage blend add a little fat to it um, and that's what people don't think about you're right they they just think about cooking duck in their own traditional ways i grew up eating dating duck my dad was an alabama farm boy and he would take ducks and cram them full of apples and oranges and wild rice and who knows what and cook whole ducks and he cooked them for, for about an hour and a half and they weren't good. <laughs> they didn't taste good. And he, and he thought all those fruits and vegetables would draw out the evil gamey spirits and make it taste less ducky. <laughs> and if he just would, if he just wouldn't stuff it and wouldn't cook it so darn long and on, on my ducks and geese, I cook them in parts anyway, because if you cook a whole duck and you get to where the breasts are medium rare, to me, the legs aren't edible. So mm -hmm. what I do, if somebody does, if I do happen to have whole ducks that have been cooked, I cut the legs off and I'm going to cook them for about another two hours. Um, I normally keep all my duck legs separate and I'm going to brown them and braise them. And in about two and a half to three hours, the mallard and pintail legs, the bigger legs, they're going to start to pull off the bone. And that's when you want to take them out, let them cool. And when you're grilling those duck breasts, you throw those almost cooked duck legs on the grill and you eat those while you're standing around and people will say, what did you do with these duck legs? Cause if you don't go low and slow on the legs, just much like, you know, the deer shanks and shoulders and necks, it, they're not going to be tender. You know, these legs, the legs do a yeah. lot of work. So I cook them separate. Yeah. Yeah. And as a, as a viewer, I actually saw, saw you do that on, on your show and, and, and tried that myself and i was like and i was i was totally totally shocked with how they turned out uh but yeah that's actually where i picked that up was on your show so so you're the guy watching the show okay? <laughs> I, know, I know there's somebody out there so yep so that one viewer when they see your numbers back that's me <laughs> that's i appreciate me. I know, that i know the feeling scott <laughs> they, they well you just want to watch is ours <laughs> yeah you know you can you can look at ratings and things but you know it, and that's what's fun about working consumer shows that i haven't been able to do for the last year is you know i got so i had a my fourth ankle surgery a year ago in January, I've had my ankle replaced 
And then after my ankle replacement, I had the talus, which is the bone that connects your ankle to your foot. I had that replaced with a, they made a 3D image out of metal and stuck that in there. So I'm thinking, this is great. I can walk again. And then, you know, because standing in, in consumer shows on hard floors can kind of wear on you. Uh, but um, I didn't have any consumer shows last year. They're supposed to start up after second half of this year, I think is what I'm hearing. Well, we just we just had the Iowa Deer Classic, Scott. Friday and Saturday night were packed. It was awesome. And and I, I, I know that's great. And and it's just some places, you know, Texas is open, Mississippi's open, right? Yeah. But we'll see. There's I, I hope we can get back on the road and because I, I really enjoy talking to the people that watch the show. Yeah. Um, yes. The other person that watches the show besides Larry. <laughs> <laughs> I watch Scotty. I watch. Yeah. I w- yeah. I'll tell you too. Uh, another experience down in Texas here, it might've been three years ago, four years ago, there was a sportsman's channel had put on that show down there. Uh, you yep. were, you had some, so I actually sat in through a couple of your seminars too. I was down there. I had to do the Baldies event. Yeah. yeah and you were snoring too. And I, I, <laughs> wanted, I, I wanted to oh, say yeah. something to you about that. Dang it! Your and his hearing is really good. <laughs> <laughs> my CPAP machine wasn't working. <laughs> but no, I uh, like I said, it's it is great those consumer shows and and I go, you know, being, you know, having our own show and stuff. It's important, and people hear me say this all the time. It's it's very vital to me that that our industry as as hunters, as conservationists, as people, you know, we all learn from one another as well. So. Just because, you know, we have a hunting show doesn't mean we're better than anybody else. That we're just, you know, we just have someone documenting it. So I, I try to go and and to those seminars because, you know, I love to learn from other people as well. And and anything that we're passionate about, like like I said earlier, you know, me personally, I love the whole process from from scouting deer and and to you know hopefully getting the opportunity to to harvest one and then you know, getting them back and peeling it and breaking it down. And then what do we do from there? So, so, I mean, I've learned a lot from, from you over the years and appreciate that very much. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a real passion of mine and I, and it might've been because of the game that I, in my formative years that, um, that just, I'm going, it, it's, there's got, I love hunting, but it's got to taste better than this. And I know that there's still people out there that, that, you know, that, that love to hunt, but don't like to eat what they hunt quite so much. Yeah. Hey, I, I've been trying to talk Larry and going down and, and bowfish and stingrays. I saw you were on TV doing that uh, a couple of weeks ago. I saw it on, I don't know on what channel it was on, but you were, it was you. And how did, did you really like the stingray? Stingray's great. Actually we did, we shot them in Florida um, a couple of years ago, I think. And mm-hmm. then um, also we shot one last summer uh, for the dead meat show in the San Diego Bay. And I took it to a sushi place in Sandy in San Diego and they mm. did some incredible stuff with the stingray for, for people that haven't had it, you know, that, that think that they punch holes in a skate wing or a stingray wing and call it scallops. If you can be fooled by that, then you're just stupid because their meat's not even close to the same, doesn't look the same the stingray has a really, really unusual texture to it, mm-hmm. but the the flesh itself is delicious. Um, so for people that have been, you know, cutting those tails off and throwing it back in, 
don't do that. Eat those stingrays. They're delicious. Yeah. Larry, we got to do that, man. For sure. I'm, I'm, it sounds like, especially now. Yeah. Uh, now, now I heard that we're going to have to definitely go try that out. And I bet you that's a hoot of a good time too. Hey, it, I, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he had fun doing it. It was, Hey, it's time for that. Now that's cool. Segment brought to you by Arctic ice blocks. And it's the best, one of the best ways to keep your, not only your, your protein and everything cool, but keeping everything in your cooler fresh. Uh, this week's question is from Jim Thompson of Ohio. And he wants to know, to, please tell us what is your go-to deer head. Larry Mack, I'm going to let you answer that, please. Our go-to, what was that? Deer, deer head, head, deer head, broadhead. Oh, broadhead. Uh, I would say, I mean, I'm partial to the Slick Trick brand of broadheads, but, you know, shot placement's key. I like you know, there's always a discrepancy between fixed blade or mechanical. Uh, uh, from a mechanical perspective, I like the Slick Trick Raptor Trick. I think the design is really uh, is spot on for for making sure that you're going to get the penetration that you need uh, to ethically harvest the animal. Uh, fixed blade, I like the Viper Trick. Blade angle, cut on contact design, uh, doesn't slow your arrow down. Uh, you know, I always, you know, two holes are better than one. It's kind of my philosophy. Yeah. So uh, anything that uh, that's going to help induce an exit hole uh, is I'm going to be a fan of. Yeah. Scotty, what's your favorite caliber for whitetail? You know, uh, I, I've, I've shot so few deer in the last five years. Um, my favorite, I use a seven millimeter Remo eight that I use around here. Our deer aren't that big. Um. But that's that's kind of my go-to here. That's that's I've got a Vanguard uh, seven millimeter Ramo eight that I use that doesn't I I can pack it around. I'm used to it. Everybody's going six five Creed more these days, but I haven't. You know, if somebody hands me one, I'll shoot it. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, haven't been shooting it all that much. All right. Well, I thought I'd get that in there. Hey Jim, uh, you're going to get a Sportsman's Warehouse gift card coming your way, folks. If you'd like to have uh, your question read right here on the podcast and get a Sportsman's Warehouse $25 gift card, just get a hold of Larry or I. You can do that on Facebook or respectthegame.tv or at outdoorsdan.com. And uh, if we use it here, you're a winner. So, hey, Scotty, uh, we got a few minutes left. Can you tell everybody, let's talk about the shows real quick. Sporting Chef's been on forever. I mean, you're 90 now. So, how long have you been on? <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the 20 year anniversary of Sporting Chef. We started um, in Southeast US on a Comcast group there. And we've been on Sportsman Channel since they started. Mm -hmm. um, that is on first and second quarter on Sportsman Channel. And the Dead Meat Show, we, we were running on Outdoor Channel also up until last week when it was replaced by the Fishmonger. So the Fish and Dead Meat Show is kind of like a Bizarre Foods um, on Sportsman Channel. That'll be on Q on the third and fourth quarter. Um, and that's where we look for people that, don't hunt and fish the things that most of us do. We were, we had a great turtle hunt in Nebraska last year with this family of, it looked like a ZZ top cover band. These guys <laughs> were just really, really cool. They looked the part. They were exceptionally cool people. You know, they were approached by a group that wanted them to do a reality show. And they, and the producers were saying, Hey, would you guys mind fighting and stuff like that? They're going, no, we don't do that. We like each other. So we, and we like people that like each other. We like to meet people that do things like hunt armadillo and python and those kind of things. Cause there are some really cool, interesting people out there. Yeah. And the, 
the latest show that started March 1st is The Fishmonger. And I've got a buddy of mine doing most of the hosting. He was uh, He's a fourth-generation commercial fisherman, knows everybody, knows all the boat captains. And the story we're trying to tell there is how the American commercial fishermen, they just want a level playing field. They want... You know, they have, there's international rules and these guys, the international fishermen don't have to follow the same set of rules and regulations that the Americans do. And 90% of the seafood that we, the U.S. is imported. Figure that, right? Mm -hmm. And yet we've got all these commercial fishermen here. So it's about the commercial fishing industry in San Diego and their relationship with the chefs. You can, because of the pandemic and actually before the pandemic, they enacted a law in San Diego where you can buy fish right off the boat. So you can get yellowtail, ahi tuna, uh, opa, all these incredible fish, ahi tuna loin off the boat, trimmed $10 a pound, sushi grade, right off the boat, you know, three weeks fresher than anything you're going to get at a grocery store. And so, you know, um, we're hoping for more seasons to go and you know this our shows are owned by sportsmen and outdoor channels so um we're kind of at the at the mercy of of them whether we have uh, more seasons but so far it looks pretty good and then we'd love to see what's going on in boston and louisiana and all these other places with the fishing industry and then we're talking about doing one about ranching in uh in uh, the u.s also all right larry mack what do you think Man, it's been it's been a great uh, time flew by, uh, as always. Because, like I said, man, it's a uh, it's always a pleasure having guests, and I was excited for this one. Because, uh, yep, and look at my chops. I'm going to go lay something, thaw something out, and, and cook it now. <laughs> so, uh, yep, yeah, uh, but no, it's been great. Absolutely, Scotty. How can someone get a hold of you if they got questions? Uh, go to sportingchef.com. That's uh, that's there's a ton of recipes there. Don't need to buy anything. Um, that'll keep you busy for a long time. I still have a blog at Winchester on cooking stuff and, of course, the DU magazine. Um, but uh, sportingchef.com is the best place to start. There's plenty there to keep you busy. All right. Larry Mack, if someone wants to get a hold of us about Respect the Game TV, how can they do that, sir? Yeah, they can find us on all the social media platforms, respectthegametv.com, uh, and also Sportsman's Channel Tuesday nights, 8 o'clock. Uh, we do air 52 weeks, so uh, you can catch up with the latest episodes there. Uh, YouTube's always a good place. We have we have some updated content always getting put up there. So, All right, there you go. On behalf of Scotty Laceff, the Sporting Chef, the Fishmonger, and Dead Meat, Larry the Max Schwack Attack McCoy. Then we're going to wrap this up. This has been brought to you by the fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse nationwide. Just a click away at sportsmans.com. And thanks to Arctic Ice for helping us keep our stuff nice and cold in the field. Just go to arcticice.com for more information there. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of It's All Outdoors with Outdoors Dan and Larry McCoy. We'll see you next time, and thank you for downloading us. We'll see ya. And soon it's coming to take everything you know. Yeah. When the monster crawls out of the sea.